Okay, it looks like I'm going to have you sign two things for me today. The first thing you're going to sign is your consent form. The consent form gives us permission to do the procedure and bring your insurance, okay? When you first walk into a hospital, before you can see a doctor, you walk up to a counter in a room that sounds like this. Sure. What is the patient's name? And date of birth? The person at the desk asks you a bunch of questions. Who's paying your bill? Um, where did you come from? What's your date of birth? Gina Austin manages all of this at Toro Infirmary. We're in patient registration, third floor. Beautiful. Toro's been collecting this same information for over 150 years. Since the beginning, they've kept meticulous records about who exactly was walking through their doors, what was wrong with them, and everything else about them you could pretty much possibly imagine. Let's go find those records. This is Tripod, New Orleans at 300. I'm Lane Kaplan-Levinson. Okay, I am turning onto Chestnut Street, right by Toro Hospital, where the archives are in this old building, the Gumbel Building, which kind of looks like it's been abandoned, except there are some really really old records in here. I should be able to get into this parking lot. Okay, I'm gonna call Florence. Good afternoon, Toro Infirmary Archives. Hi, Florence, it's Lane. Hi. I just parked- Yes, I just parked my car. Okay, I'm coming downstairs now. Thank you. Okay, see you in a minute. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Florence Jumanville is the archivist at Toro Infirmary, which has been around for forever. It was founded in 1852 by a businessman and philanthropist named Judah Toro. He established what was originally called the Hebrew Hospital of New Orleans. And as he put it himself in his own will, it was to, quote, treat the city's indigent population a.k.a. the poor. The infirmary wasn't where it is now on Britannia Street. It was in the warehouse district right on the river, where the convention center is today. How's it going? It's going. Toro died two years later, but the hospital doors stayed open and are still open today. I think that alone is pretty unbelievable, but what's really special about Toro isn't just how old it is. It's the number of artifacts that have survived all these years and that now live in its archive, where we've just arrived. When I first walked in, Florence took me into this room full of... Rather intimidating-looking medical instruments and uh, pieces of equipment in this room. Yeah, especially the like IV thing that looks like it almost still has some liquid in it. It does. Old, brown, hardened liquid. We have a bottle over here of a nasty-looking liquid called Turo Elixir. It was a cough medicine. Oh my god, I dare you to drink it. Now, you know I wouldn't think of drinking something from the archives. But, as Matthew McConaughey once said, It'd be a lot cooler if you did. (laughs) Has anyone ever dared you to drink the elixir? No. And then next to that, we have this terrifying-looking instrument case. 
it is really quite ferocious looking. Uh, all kinds of scalpel-like instruments and tongs and scissors. A little rusty now, but uh, in its day, it probably was state-of-the-art. Right, I was going to say the rust adds a particularly uh, terrifying element, but... <laughs> We looked around at all this stuff, including a beautiful old desk that was once Judah Toro's, an old tourniquet, and an eye chart in Hebrew lettering. But then Florence led me to what I was really there to see, Toro's very first admission book, containing all the information of every patient from 1855 to 1860. Is it heavy? Uh, it's more awkward than heavy. <laughs> There you are. If you would like to sit down and look through it for a while, please do so. Great, thank you. Mm -hmm. What's special to you about this book? The fact of its existence, really. You're listening to Tripod, New Orleans at 300. I'm Lynn Kaplan-Levinson. This book is huge. It is about 22 inches high, about 14 inches wide. And Almost two feet long, bound in brown leather with every page lined and divided into columns filled with names of patients written in perfect script and tons of personal details about them. Including the place of birth, the person's occupation, the place that they came from most recently. That, that was important because New Orleans was full of immigrants, which you'll see in a minute. They also tracked their age, who's paying the bill, the day rate of a room, the ailment, how long they've been sick, and... If they didn't make it, the date of death. So here is page one. And look at that, the first person, number one, is someone named Peter Peterson from Denmark, a seaman. Last place that this man from Denmark was in was Rio de Janeiro. He had only been in New Orleans for three weeks when he was admitted. He's 18 years old. He came in for dysentery, and he was at Toro for 21 days. Going lower down the first page, we have people on this page alone from Denmark, Maine, France, Germany, Norway, New York, Virginia, Ireland, Sweden. Of the 40 people listed on the first page, only one was born in New Orleans. Morocco, Switzerland. I mean, this is like the UN. That's right. <laughs> and they had basically just arrived. Three weeks, two days, 12 days, a month, two days, eight days. So on this page as well, no one's been here that long. At the time, hospitals generally were places where people went only if they had no relatives, friends, or neighbors who could look after them. Most people were cared for at home. In fact, Toro only had 28 beds at this time. It was small. So that many hospital patients were young men coming to New Orleans to seek their fortunes, or sailors arriving on ships. So that's why we're, we see a lot of like 
dock workers and exactly exactly those were it was also really cool to look at all of the listed jobs people had oh a jeweler cabinet maker i like that bookkeeper a planter from point coupe parish an apothecary a contractor what's a glazer someone who makes glass got it and what's this top one here Charcoaler. Wow. I'm guessing that's someone who sold coal. There are lots of archaic occupations listed here. Yeah, it's incredible. Honestly, this is the type of record that historians lose their minds over. Historians like Aaron Greenwald. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. And Erin's seen a lot. She says it's the level of detail that's so mind-blowing here. Like these listed occupations, they tell us a lot about this pre-Civil War era. You're getting dock workers. But you're also right there where the ships come in, laden with enslaved people who are being sold in the domestic slave trade. Toro was strategically placed right on the river because hospitals knew their main clientele, those that had been traveling and were largely without means. And that included enslaved people that were brought to New Orleans, many of whom arrived with health problems. Fevers, breathing difficulties, chest infections, digestive problems. Stephen Kenny is a historian in Liverpool. We talked on Skype. He's written about the role of antebellum hospitals in the slave economy. Toro is one of many hospitals that admitted enslaved people, but there's a focus on Toro because of this admission book and all that it tells us. Stephen says the recorded illnesses that we see were caused by the horrible conditions enslaved people went through en route to New Orleans. So these are the effects of cramped and crowded and sanitary conditions, dietary deprivation, uh, the, the suffering that people would have endured as they're being separated from families, forcibly transported, incarcerated, going through the facilities that fed the domestic slave trade. This describes the majority of people that filled Toro's 28 beds, nearly half of which were filled by enslaved people. I saw that myself, scrolling down a single page of the admission book. We have one, two, three, four, five, six enslaved people in a row coming from Maryland, South Carolina, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, and Florida, respectively. It's a lot of different places. And on this page, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 enslaved patients, which is half the page. Yes. Wow. 45% of all of Turo's patients prior to the Civil War were actually enslaved. Erin Greenwald. A significant number of them were being brought in by known slave traders so that they could essentially get their human cargo better, have them treated in a hospital so that they could make more money off of selling these individuals. Human beings were ripped from their homes and taken to New Orleans to be sold. Whether it was by ship or by foot, this journey was horrendous. People were chained together in unbelievably close quarters. They did not shower. They were not fed for months on end. Many died along the way. So those that survived arrived in New Orleans sick and weak from physical and psychological torture. 
traders wanted them to heal from the pneumonia, syphilis, diarrhea, typhoid, anything that they contracted along the way, so that they could sell them at the highest profit margin. I mentioned to Erin that I saw a lot of enslaved people in Toro's register coming in with venereal diseases, and she said that makes sense because traders had a specific incentive to cure those diseases, especially the ones related to having babies. Because when a person is selling another human being, in this environment, it is not simply their own labor that is being sold, but it is the promise of future laborers. Their unborn children. And so if you have uh, an enslaved person known to have a venereal disease, that automatically decreases their value because it lessens their future worth. A woman who could give birth to a future enslaved person was worth more than a woman who couldn't. So half the time, doctors at Toro are rehabilitating enslaved people before they're sold at market. And slave traders are the ones footing the bill. It costs a dollar a day for an enslaved person compared to $5 a day for everyone else. So in Cohen's New Orleans Directory for 1853, there is a now yellowed faded advertisement for Turo Infirmary. And the advertisement says, important surgical operation charged for extra terms from $1 to $5 per day, slaves $1 per day, no contagious diseases will be admitted. Traders were more than willing to foot the bill because what they got out of it was a person they considered their property that they could sell at a higher price. And Toro was good at this. In fact, enslaved patients were more likely to survive than Toro's other patients. Historian Stephen Kenny, who I talked to on Skype, he told me that once an enslaved person returned to good health, Toro issued a certificate. Certificates, expert testimony, which is again interesting in the New Orleans context because of the redhibition laws. Redhibition was a legal means of protecting buyers, a type of warranty that guaranteed the product that you purchased. This warranty allowed someone to return an enslaved person if they were found out to be in poor health. So the warranty system um, is a Louisiana state law. Unique to Louisiana. It's actually one of the very first lemon laws in the country. Um, We associate lemon laws now with the automobile industry, but in Louisiana it has its roots in slavery. You're listening to Tripod, New Orleans at 300. I'm Lynn Kaplan-Levinson. Every time an enslaved person was sold, a disclosure was included from the seller to the buyer, indicating any sort of physical defect or malady. Some slave traders tried to skirt the warranty system by buying and selling sick people. There was an individual trader named Bernard Kendig who shows up repeatedly over and over again in this Turo register. He was known actually for going around town and purchasing enslaved people who had maladies, who had defects. He risked passing them off as fully sound and healthy 
so that he can make a bigger profit. We know this because Bernard Kendick gets sued multiple times by multiple purchasers. So these warranties become vital in the business of slavery, and traders make sure to buy them from Toro's head doctor, Jay Bensadon. This was a man who was a physician, but who also had the ability to provide warranties of enslaved people's health. So there are competing interests at play here. Aaron says it's like this doctor was straddling the medical and insurance industry through issuing these warranties. I mean, this doctor, this, this doctor is fully complicit in the slave system because he's operating on multiple levels to uphold and profit personally. I mean, he's not trading in individuals, but he is profiting from slavery. And she says, Toro is profiting too. Because if 45% of their patients are enslaved, that's making up a good percentage of the hospital's operating budget. And so of the many things that Toro's admission book tells us about New Orleans, it also shows how deeply embedded the slave economy was in the American economy. Toro has served the city from the antebellum period to today, through slavery, reconstruction, wars, hurricanes, floods. And it's been a hospital treating the people of New Orleans that whole time, except for a few years during the Civil War, when it actually turned into an old age home for Jews as a way to keep the Union Army from taking it over. If it had stayed a hospital, the Union would have occupied it to treat their soldiers. But as an old age home for Jews, they left it alone. Unfortunately, we know very little about that whole time period, which only emphasizes the value of the admission book that we do have. If the book hadn't been saved, this entire chapter we've just sunk into would be lost. Historian Stephen Kenny says that's the magic of the archives. You know, people describe that moment in the archives in various ways. Sometimes people speak about being transported back to the past or the past as they imagine it. It's a moment that, looking back on that, a tremendous privilege, and you reminded me, really, that, yeah, it's time to go back. And when he does go back, Florence Jumanville will be there. She spends all day thinking about how much the hospital has seen and who's come through its doors. She says along with the working class and enslaved populations the infirmary set out to treat, a bunch of famous people are in the records, too, like Truman Capote, who was born at Toro, and Peggy Lee, who had double bypass surgery at Toro, and Professor Longhair, who was pronounced dead on arrival at Toro. And Dorothy Lamore, the movie star from Road Pictures with Bing Crosby and Bob Hope. She rattled off these A-list patients as she closed up the admission book from 1855 to 1860 and carefully placed it back in its case. It's like you're tucking it in to go to sleep. Yes, it is. Even as she's putting it away, Florence can't stop sharing stories. A local photographer, Clarence John Lachlan, was a patient here, and uh, a jazz musician named Muggsy Spanier, whose life was saved by Alton Oxner when Muggsy was touring here and collapsed with a bleeding ulcer and nearly died. This was in 1938. He was here in the hospital for several months recovering and used his time to write a, a foxtrot entitled Relaxin' at the Toro. 
Oh my God, is there a way I can hear that song? Yes. Relaxin' at the Toro became the theme song of Muggsy's group, the Ragtime Band. Oh, you got that nice uh, old school CD player. Mm-hmm. I'm very old school. <laughs> Actually, I'm just plain old. <laughs> okay, let's see. Tripod is a production of WWNO New Orleans Public Radio in collaboration with the Historic New Orleans Collection and the Midlow Center for New Orleans Studies at UNO. Special thanks to Evan Christopher for the opening theme music. Catch Tripod on the air Thursdays during Morning Edition and again on Mondays during All Things Considered. Also, please subscribe to the podcast. If you do, you're going to hear this story as one whole story, which is really how it's meant to be heard. So this has been split up into two parts for the air. But if you go to the podcast and subscribe, you will hear the Toro Admission Book episode as one feature episode. So I highly encourage you to do that. Also, go to WWNO.org or our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter feeds at Tripodnola, and you can see some amazing photos of my visit to the Toro Infirmary archive. I'm Lane Kaplan-Levinson, and I'll tripod you later. 